from Moby.co. This is the Flagship Pod, a weekly podcast about the economy, the stock market, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time kind of a mixed bag. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in the market. We've got volatility coming out of oil prices with all sorts of supply stuff going on. We've got a jobs market that is giving us mixed signals. And of course, we've got a you know an economy that's kind of limping out of ultimately uh, a really wild sort of period of downturn. Like there's some encouraging signs, there's some non-encouraging signs. But again, we are in a holding pattern until we get that big, beautiful December CPI drop two Tuesdays from now. Trying to help me parse through all of that and understand what's going on with these mixed signals, as always, is Justin Kramer, our CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, man, I don't even have him. I can't even make heads or tails of this. Like, what is going on in this economy right now? Are we full-on downturn? Or are we seeing some encouraging signs with jobs and stuff? No, there's a there's a lot to unpack. Uh, to your point, numbers have gotten better in some uh, in some cases. Uh, inflation looks like it's starting to peak. Yet there's still a lot of pessimism just on the on the surface for going into 2023, um, especially with what the the Fed's been doing. So, you know, there's a there's a lot to unpack. It's not a a clear answer, but I'm you know excited to kind of get into it today. And it's really just good to like kind of talk through these things one at a time. So I guess the main thing is let's start unpacking those mixed inflation signals we got. Again, the main goal of the Fed is trying to see if they can calm down the jobs market, the jobs, the jobs market a little bit to see if we can't, you know, get spending under control. People make too much money. They're going to spend a lot of it. We can't really fix the supply side of inflation, but we can kill demand, which isn't the best tool, but it's the tool we got. Right. So we got a lot of jobs information coming out uh, this week. On Wednesday, we had the ADP numbers coming out way lower than expected. We had 120. 20,000 private sector jobs added uh, when we were expecting 190,000. But then JOLTS came out, which is the actual U.S. government, saying that, hey, we actually added over 10 million new jobs to the economy. We kind of wanted like just a little bit less than what we got. Like It went down, but not down far enough. And then this morning, we got even more jobs information that's still a little bit hotter than we wanted to see. When you look at all of this, Justin, like is the labor market still super hot? Do we, do we need to see a few more layoffs before the Fed really commits to that pivot or are we potentially seeing enough of a slowdown to give Jay Powell and the bull and the lads enough fodder to really begin that pivot begin pulling us out of this peak inflation situation so it's it's very interesting because to your point the inflation numbers look like they're starting to peak the fed's preferred measure uh, of inflation came out only increased 0.2% so it looks like you know things are are starting to hit potentially their their inflection point for on the way back down uh, having said that, the Fed's target is more the 2% number. So we are still an extremely long way off from that. And what the Fed has been saying from day one is maybe, you know, we don't have to hike aggressively forever, but until we get to that 2% number, we are going to keep raising rates. And that seems to be the stance so far. Uh, Jerome Powell came out the other day and said they could potentially at December start decreasing how quickly they're increasing rates. So instead of being 75 basis points, maybe the next one, you know, it's 50. Um, and then past that, even 25. And eventually they stop raising rates at some point. But I would be very surprised within the next several months for them to start decreasing rates just based off what they've said. Um, I think inflation is going to start having to need to drop substantially before they're able to do so. Uh, but unfortunately, this is where Kind of the, the nuance and the complications come into play is, you know, when does that happen and are we in a full-blown recession by then? And so we've talked about this before, um, but effectively, if you keep raising rates, core goods that are highly, highly uh, funded by debt are going to continue rising pricing. So food, energy, utilities, a lot of these core commodities that are 
are in our industry are so heavily financed by debt that when you increase the price of interest rates, you ultimately increase the price at how these goods are ultimately serviced to um, people in our economy. So the Fed can keep raising rates, but those core goods are going to keep rising in rates because it's more expensive to ultimately produce them and it gets passed on to consumers. So eventually there could be some sort of like implosion point where they're raising rates so much, they're raising rates so much and things get so expensive that, you know, people maybe start spending less at the grocery store or start finding cheaper options or go to cheaper grocery stores, or they don't try to consume less energy. It basically puts, puts us to a point where like things get dire. And that's when we move into this, the chance of getting into a really, really bad recession. And that's why you're seeing, you know, CEOs of major institutions saying the Fed and pleading with the Fed to stop raising rates because it's going to push us to the brink of potentially a massive recession. So while inflation may be coming down in certain areas, for it to fully come down, there there's a you know an increasing chance that we're going to have to go into a pretty deep recession to get there because the Fed is going to completely have to erode demand. Um, so it's a it's a little scary. So the markets definitely are rebounding. They are forward looking. They are thinking that potentially, uh, you know, as long as the Fed stops raising rates, we will be able to ultimately get to a good place. I think there's a, a really good chance that earnings start to crater this quarter into next quarter, and maybe by at some point next year, the, the outlook looks better, which again, the, the economy and market or the market rather is forward looking. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but for the economy, I mean, there's we're we're continuing to move towards uh, an increasing chance of recession. And that's why, again, so many kind of world leaders here are just pleading with the Fed to to stop the increasing of rates because it's just really it is drastically going to hurt things if we move past a certain point. Exactly. It's an extremely like delicate situation. So watching, you know, this need and this hope for a Fed pivot, right, is uh, it's it's really tough because what we're trying to see here is what's going to put us at the exact right point. Again, the Fed's entire mandate is we want a soft landing. We need a soft landing, but it's really hard to nail that. And maybe the window for that is already passed because, again, this is all supply side information, inflation. It was initially driven by supply side. Now it's just everywhere, right? So when we look at all of this too, audience, the main thing we have to think about is w- how delicate this is, and that's why you're seeing a lot of weird stuff come out of the U.S. economy. Um, we've had ostensibly pro-labor uh, President Joe Biden basically completely go full Reagan on railroad unions. You may have noticed this week, audience, we were inching towards another railroad strike. Biden and Congress have forced through a deal that basically says, hey, uh, you guys get a little bit of a raise, but you don't get sick days. This is what you, what you wanted, you know, railroad, railroad, railroad workers. The main thing we see there, too, is that uh, there was an additional bill to get, you know, seven days of p- paid sick leave for railroad workers that just got killed in Congress as well. So it's like, hey, Joe Biden thought you were super pro-labor. Hey, the Fed, why do you want to kill labor so much? It's like, there has to be this balance here with how out of whack supply chains are. So you're going to see these kind of bizarre decisions as we very carefully sort of manage what is happening in our economy, right? Like, it's really, really interesting to see. And one really key piece of that, remember, this is supply-side inflation, folks. So one thing we're really looking at, too, is the ongoing... There is a lot of weird stuff going on in oil right now, Justin, that I really would like to, like, 
go through the weeds with you real fast. I know it sounds super boring, but energy is kind of the root of all of this. Well, debt is, and then energy. So, Justin, today we've had a lot of stuff go down. OPEC is limiting production. That's been happening. Uh, the U.S. has now started to take a small amount of Venezuelan oil back into Texas ports. Hell yeah, let's go. <laughs> um, and uh, now Europe has, instead of outright banning Russian oil, they're just imposing a price cap on the Russian oil situation. So we're seeing a lot of weird supply situations. Oil's kind of inched up to about $81, $82 a barrel, but some analysts are calling for $110 a barrel by like January, February. Uh, how 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 are we parsing through this and how are we playing this in terms of thinking about how this is going to affect like the broader sort of investment economy? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, right now, to to your point, there's a lot going on in the oil fields, versus the oil industry rather. And so, you know, over the course of 2022, we saw the price of oil rebound pretty substantially from 2021. And we saw profitability for a lot of these oil companies um, hit like on a decade, if not further <clears throat> highs, which uh, we haven't seen in the in the energy field, specifically for oil in, in quite some time. Um, so now with the the banning potentially of Russian oil, a lot of the conversations that we're having being held over the summer, um, things look like it's it is changing there. So even today, the EU looks like they're coming out. They're going to be setting a price cap on oil um, on Russian oil, specifically around sixty dollars a barrel. Um, so it looks like they're not going to ultimately go through with the ban, which is better for global oil prices from a consumer perspective. Um, so. Long-winded way of saying the outlook for oil, I think, continues now to be a little bit more muddled. I don't think profitability for energy companies is going to continue to skyrocket the way it has been over the course of this year. Um, we should be looking at a little bit more stability, especially now that this banning, you know, potentially may not happen, um, and that the U.S. is opening up more of its strategic reserves and also allowing Venezuela to now export oil into the U.S. in order to combat a lot of these supply-related kind of shortages. So, I mean, net effectively, uh, the U.S. is doing a lot or, you know, a lot, a lot of things that seemed crazy a year ago in order to, for consumers to keep their prices at pumps down. Um, so I think ultimately uh, we, we should see gas prices potentially increase a little bit, but not too substantially. Uh, and then so from an investing standpoint, like a standpoint, I think energy companies will continue to to do well, although you're not going to see you know, the 100% year-over-year returns. It might be a little bit more steady, a little bit more safer to park capital there and expect you know moderate returns or or close to close to flat over the the course of 2023. And that's really important to keep in mind too, as we sort of like watch this move forward. That's why we diversify so much We, in terms of both investors and how people are going to manage this macro environment. So really delicate situation. And again, the main thing is uh, there's not a lot to say where it's going to go. You've got a lot of arguments, a lot of strong arguments for this kind of boiling over into a longer recession that lasts the bulk of 2023. You've got some interesting ways to look at this that if inflation has peaked here and the Fed, you know, pivots you know, fast enough to make the market sort of like move at the right pace again. You could see S and P hit all time highs in Q two twenty twenty three. Like we are really in the fog here with this particular downturn. It's not you know hopium. It's not wish casting. There's a lot, a lot of noise and not a lot of signal. And so what we have to hold on to in this podcast, at the very least, is those moments of clarity, those long term narratives. And Justin, you're going to be doing an update on our Tesla position because Tesla's kind of gone through the ringer with 
Elon Musk things. Maybe we'll get into Twitter a little bit too. But one thing that's really exciting is that finally, uh, Pepsi just received the first shipment of Tesla semi-trucks. Like, we're seeing Tesla iterate despite, you know, maybe some distractions on the CEO front. Um, in terms of like, I know you're not finished your update on Tesla. That's not until next week or if you're listening to the recorded version later this week. But how are you feeling about Tesla overall as it, you know, kind of weathers A, this downturn, B, China, C, Elon stuff, everything else. How, how's, how's the company doing? How's the stock going to continue performing moving forward? With Tesla specifically, to your point, we'll be releasing the report next week. Um, but people are listening either live now or on the recorded version later on. Um, still, I mean, the, the very quick of it is that we still really like Tesla. There'll be a lot more details we'll put in the report. Um, but there definitely has been a lot of distractions with this Elon stuff regarding Twitter or now Neuralink the other day. I mean, his focus is it's getting to past the point where <laughs> where one human is able to do so many things effectively. Having said that, um, we're definitely still very, very bullish on Tesla over the long term. They've shed almost half a trillion dollars of market cap in two months, which is like truly, truly insane, mostly driven by price cuts in China, just a decelerating overall demand for electric vehicles, and then other just kind of market headwinds with crypto to the point that Twitter headwinds, everything else. So we kind of start to see now an opportunity emerge that it's down so much. Uh, at their current valuation, they're trading at like 14 times uh, EBITDA, 26 times earnings. And that's just far below A, what they've done historically and like where they're expected to go going forward. We're expecting some pretty strong growth next year, a lot more free cash flow generation. Uh, and then I think ultimately what's really interesting with them that you're not seeing with other people is they will not be subjected to the increases in the price of lithium to the extent that, you know, Rivian, Hummer, GM, Chevy, you name it, will be. Um, basically, they've locked in pricing for lithium, uh, for the lithium in, in your Tesla, for example, at like around $4,000. Whereas for Rivian, it's going to be around six. Hummer, I think, is around 10K last the report I saw. Um, they were able to walk in through trading commodities as well as their own like verticalization of their supply chain, a much cheaper uh, spot price on the lithium pricing, which ultimately will then help them bring prices down even further, um, whereas other companies would not be able to. So they can effectively make their Teslas for cheaper now than they have been and cheaper relative to their competition. Which means that you know that EV that is still like evaded the the general consumer in terms of getting the the price below like that twenty thirty k mark is now going to be potentially available you know come next year or the year thereafter because of this lithium bottleneck that they more or less can avoid. Um, it's it's really interesting. Um, a lot of the EV demand is just ultimately subject to the price of lithium because you know higher price of lithium, less cars produced, and higher price of cars overall. Uh, so it's interesting to see commodities ultimately affect the you know the profitability uh, on the demand side for Tesla for other companies in the space. But I mean, long story short, we we think there the long overdue of price cuts and EVs will will come within the next few years. We'll see demand start to pick back up. Um, obviously, a recession may may throw a little bit of a a uh, some headwinds in the way of of demand picking back up. But ultimately, from the from the Tesla side of things. We believe, again, as we've been saying now for, for months, if not years, vertical integration and leadership ultimately is going to make the biggest difference and, and ultimately make their advantage over their peers. 
uh, significantly, significantly higher as the price of lithium comes further down and they're able to to get it even cheaper than everyone else. So long story short, we we continue to love Tesla with it down so much. We think this is a really, really strong buying opportunity. And that's really key to keep in mind as well, just finding those threads that work out. This is one of those reasons I'm super glad that um, I married an Australian person and that we still have some like economic presence in Australia. So I have cheaper access to buying Australian lithium stocks, which are just exploding right now. We're from Western Australia, which is... Um, Never been the cool part of Australia until right now. It's where they do all the mining, right? So uh, lithium's hot, you know, down under. And um, if you're looking, if you're in those markets as well, check out Pilbara Minerals because they just keep crushing it, right? Uh, the other thing you need to watch too, audience, is cobalt as well. And that's something we're doing a lot of research on because there's potentialities for a lot of expansion for cobalt discovery to happen here in America as well, which would kind of help Biden's whole plan for the Inflation Reduction Act, like all of the spending in EVs is going to jack up the price of lithium and uh, cobalt and nickel so much that it could like be offset entirely if we run out of these minerals. So it's going to be really interesting to see if we can find other sources for cobalt, nickel and lithium, you know, all over the world, as opposed to just like Australia, some parts of South America and the Gobi Desert, right? China's going to have a huge advantage in terms of like actual minerals there. So that's something we're always thinking about as well, finding these these threads, these trends. Another long-term thread that we're really excited about is pharma's finally back. Um, COVID spending is over, so all of our pharma picks are back to actually focusing on their real drugs. Eli Lilly's up big. Um, our big update this week was for Biogen. They had some really, really encouraging trial data for their Alzheimer's medication, Lacanumab. I'm not pronouncing that right. I refuse to pronounce that right. I will never give pharma the satisfaction to pronounce their drugs correctly. Um, fight me. Um, we have the really encouraging trial data. Uh, Biogen got absolutely cut in half this year, more than in half this year, actually, off of a not-so-good Alzheimer's medication, but the whole plan for pharma is you take three to four cracks at a particular issue, um, and two and three from Biogen are looking really strong, and Lacanumab looks like it could be a really strong winner. Not as big as Eli Lilly, our biggest pick in pharma, but Biogen's now up 52% on the year and just kind of rising from there. They're really exciting in terms of thinking about, A, um, abandoning their multiple sclerosis profile entirely to generics and taking over sort of solving both Alzheimer's and a lot of A, brain disorders, and B, like neurodegenerative disorders as well. So it's really exciting to see them pivot and have that pivot actually work. And it's really exciting to see the rest of pharma finally iterate on things that are not COVID. Like people were basically just like surviving off of building COVID treatments for the past two years. So the innovation uh, lever is turned back on in pharma, and that's very exciting. And one thing we're trying to parse too, audience, and Justin, we can kind of talk about this a little bit more, is we're seeing some recovery in retail. Like you're seeing a kind of two-class system emerge in retail. We thought retail was going to be dead for years at this point with how bad supply chains were. Uh, Target has just been the complete goofus stock in this. They have not been mismanaged or anything, but the amount of inventory they have is just an, an albatross around their neck, whereas stocks like Walmart, Dick's, Best Buy, and inexplicably Abercrombie and Fitch um, have managed to completely curtail these issues with the supply chain as well as um, uh, revenue and inventory. So it's really exciting to see, especially going into Q4. Like You see these stocks rising now, knowing that they're going to post huge earnings potentially um, in Q1 as the holiday season kind of continues. Just in one huge trend you talk about, though, and this is what I want to bring you back into this, though. When we look at retail, we're seeing... You know, retail Black Friday spending stay pretty solid, stay pretty steady. It's up about 2.3% year over year. It's usually up higher than that. Um, a lot of like the post-pandemic glut of cash that, you know, was a contributing factor to inflation potentially. But I don't even understand macroeconomics. I'm not going to pretend I understand that. Um, a lot of that is kind of gone now. We're seeing consumer debt, you know, 
go up pretty hugely along with consumer spending staying at kind of regular levels. Is there going to come a point where this kind of like hits ahead and we finally see spending go down? When you look at stuff like this kind of retail resurgence with Walmart, Dick's, and Best Buy, um, is that kind of like a temporary hedge fake before we finally run out of money as a populist? Or is consumer spending just here to stay? Like, is it just like the strongest force in the universe, the American consumer? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a really good question. You've seen debt levels for American consumers continue to increase substantially, even though the uh, like this recession is potentially looming over the U.S. And economy, not only in the U.S., but just like internationally as well. Um, so you see retail continuing to somehow do well, uh, even though there's this potentially retail apocalypse ahead of us. Um, so we've talked about stocks like this before that play in the space, like Best Buy, Dick's, Amazon, Kohl's, a bunch of others. I think over the long run, um, they're going to be really suited to do well. They'll even have potentially very strong holiday seasons, like even what we saw on Black Friday, highest Black Friday uh, weekend ever. Uh, obviously, inflation does impact that, but at the end of the day, people are still spending money. Um, so it really depends on how hard or soft of landing we come into. Um, and if people are losing their jobs right now, unemployment's still super low, uh, wage growth still super high, and so retail spending has continued to remain elevated even with fears uh, of, a, of a recession looming. So it really just depends on how hard or how soft the landing are. I think a lot of these retail companies, especially since they've been sold off so well, will, will probably you know do well into year end and potentially into early next year. But it's kind of, you know, for some of these, uh, a wait and see. I know you have your, your own perspective as well. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, we have to find a lot of these other issues moving forward, right? Because there is no, like, there's been lots of points where you sort of hit these credit crunches where the American consumer is like, actually, you know what, I am out of money now. And like you see spending finally drop. That really hasn't happened here. And that just kind of contributes to the idea that this downturn is entirely supply based, like supply costs getting out of hand. Because you see other areas where people can kind of like finagle their supply costs a little bit. We're seeing the housing market finally finally start to wobble in terms of being lower. Uh, Blackstone had to basically halt withdrawals in their 60, their huge real, real estate fund because people were just pulling out too much money, um, which is interesting, right? You're seeing people kind of get a little spooked by how m maybe re uh, real estate is getting impacted here. You're seeing housing prices fall really well as well, which is g both good and bad. Like we're, We don't want to see a full-on housing crash that can tank certain sectors of the economy. Again, we're seeing all of these plates spinning right now, and the Fed is just trying to make sure that we slow growth enough to not completely crash the machine, have that soft landing. Um, but the main place where you can see growth, no matter what, is industrial. So we had a really awesome report this week on Caterpillar, who have just exploded in the past um, year, like quarter after quarter after quarter of huge wins and just nonstop. They have a quarter and a half of revenue locked in right now, $30 billion of backlog, and they are just going to absolutely churn through it because even though you're seeing you know, real estate investing go down a little bit, you're seeing all these things get a little wobbly, people are still building. There's still a lot of economic activity to be had. So it's exciting to see Caterpillar grow really well. They're up strong. They're going to go up even stronger across the next year as, as the macro environment continues to improve. But that's the thing. We're really in the fog of war, so to speak, when it comes to inflation. So you hear Justin talking a lot in his perspective. Like you can, you can The main advantage of what we do here at Moby is that it's a partnership, right? It's a partnership between analysts and journalists, right? So you also kind of get the two halves of the brain in terms of where we are with this downturn. You can you kind of hear just an audience being more 
pretty convinced as a CFA would be that we are, you know, barreling towards a more extended downturn. And then you hear me looking at other trends, other narratives thinking, oh, we're going to, inflation's going to get fixed and like magic, in, uh, the recession's going to go away, right? So um, I, I don't actually believe that, but you kind of see like how I always going to build the argument on the other side, because again, nobody really knows. And so that's why we try to give you that balanced perspective here, audience, because we want to make sure that you're planning your investments accordingly and figuring out your risk tolerance during this time accordingly. That's the most important thing. Either way, Justin, you know, that brings us right up to the actual end here, right up to like uh, the final minutes. Anything we didn't cover that you want to make sure that we look into? Like, again, it's just been a huge mixed bag of mixed signals again, just waiting until two weeks from now when we finally get that sweet, sweet for real CPI data that gives us a solid indication of where this whole mess is going from here. Yeah, I think um, no, we covered a covered a lot. I don't know if there's anything more specific that I'd want to, you know, dive into today. It is an interesting time, just going to the end of the year. Um, you know, markets typically do rally, uh, but it is a little bit quieter overall. So we're just going to continue have to look towards the Fed, like we've been saying all year, which <laughs> gets old quickly. Um, but that's that's really going to be the kind of key focus for us. Outside of that. I mean, crypto has obviously been super quiet um, from a you know price price news perspective. Although this FTX stuff is is absolutely insane. The fact that he's you know on the with New York Times doing interviews and not in jail is is kind of mind blowing. Um, so I mean, I think it's a, a matter of time. It's honestly shocking that he's even still like walking around. It's clearly a fraud. I am so excited. Yeah, I'm so excited for that defense where it's like, Your Honor, no, I'm just a moron. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's just like, hey, guys, like, you know, uh, I fucked up. And it's like, no, dude, you, you didn't fuck up. This was fraud. Like, you, you're commingling funds between two different institutions. You were misappropriating. You weren't able to handle withdrawals. Like, you got, you, just, you know, even if it was a mistake, it's still negligence. Like, it's still, like you know, an offense that you are going to be charged for. But the fact that it's in a space that's not highly regulated and the fact that he lives in the Bahamas, like, I think is the only thing holding this back right now, but it is 100%, I think, going to be pushed forward after this. I mean, it just goes to show you how much distrust there is kind of in the overall just crypto atmosphere and why it is warranted and that a lot of these companies, even though you think they're safe or, or at any point, there's, there's a lot of risks going on underneath the scenes that... You know, it sucks for people who are negatively affected, but at the same time, these are things that need to come to light because people were just investing with no thought of risk ever because the upside was so high with NFTs, with crypto over the last decade. It just really goes to show you that hopefully this is, should be a learning lesson for a lot of companies that there's a lot of, or a lot of people rather, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And, you know, just because, you know, some people make money in crypto does not mean that, you know, it's it's justified or that it, it's not subject to falling out at any point. It's a boom and bust cycle, man. Nobody, I mean, it, it happened in 2017, too. You had two huge collapses in the biggest crypto hack in human history back then, which tanked the market. You had, you know, I love how, you know, I would, it must be awesome to be Do Kwan right now. Like, not to be off the hook, but nobody is talking about how Luna tanked way more take the industry even harder than ftx did like ftx is about half as much damage as luna's collapsed did if you kind of look at the price action charts you know of the past year so um i, I love how we've just completely memory hold the 
astonishing and just as large, if not much worse, collapse of Luna and uh, the Terra uh, stablecoin. That was mayhem. Um, but it's really interesting to watch. You know, it's a boom and bust cycle. This is always going to happen. That's why you diversify. And that's why you mitigate risk. And that's why you make sure you spread these things around. So either way, audience, lots of ways to keep yourself safe. But again, the main thing is to stay the course. Make sure you're never putting yourself in a position where you're a forced seller. And make sure you're in a position where you're still adding to your portfolio during this time because you're going to be catching a bunch of upside potentially. Uh, maybe not in the next year, but definitely five years from now. You have to have that sort of like your positive horizon has to be five years out. Your negative horizon can be as as soon as tomorrow, that sort of thing. So either way, audience, really appreciate your time. Justin Kramer, thank you so much for taking us here all the way to the end. Another awesome conversation. Audience, if you have any questions for us, you can always feel free to um, email us at hellootmobile.co. You can also join our Discord. These happen live in Discord. You can ask questions during them. At the same time, check us out on Instagram. Feel free to hit us up on TikTok as well. But for now, audience, just so you know, this podcast is produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr. If you want to get more in-depth information from us and understand our perspective in depth you can hit hit us up at moby.co slash go or email us at hello moby.co we'd love to give you a free trial and let you see what we're doing over here regardless folks really appreciate your time and as always we'd like to leave you with peace love and incremental gains everyone be well thank you so much